This week's TribCast is sponsored by EarthX. Join us for the globe's largest free Earth Day celebration. EarthX 2022 features music, food, and family-friendly adventures. Happening April 20th through the 24th at the K. Billy Hutchinson Convention Center in Dallas. For more information, visit earthx.org. And Methodist Healthcare Ministries is committed to health equity, striving to create more fair and just opportunities for all to thrive. Learn more at mhm.org. Hello and welcome to the Texas Tribune Tribcast for April 15th, 2022. Good Friday, Passover. Uh, Best wishes to all who celebrate. My name is Matthew Watkins, Managing Editor of News for the Texas Tribune. And this week I am joined by our immigration reporter, Erdiel Garcia. How's it going? Great. And James Bettergon, our politics reporter. Hey, James. Hey, Matthew. All right. So... This week, we are going to be talking about what has been a pretty chaotic week at the um, at the U.S.-Mexico border. When we were here last week, we were talking about Governor Greg Abbott's announcement of um, a handful of kind of immigration-related uh, initiatives. You know, the one that we that got the most headlines at the time was Abbott's decision to bus migrants from the Texas border to Washington, D.C. But as we talked about last week, the one that we expected to maybe have the most impact was his decision to increase DPS safety checks or searches at the border of 18 wheelers crossing over into the state. I think we were probably right. That one was going to be the one that had the most impact because here we are this week and that has been, you know, kind of the all consuming uh, bit of news uh, and also among, you know, these border communities and and the, uh, you know, the people who benefit from or involved in trade uh, between the U.S. and Mexico. We've kind of basically seen long lines, frustrated businesses, frustrated uh, uh, truckers along the border frustrated uh, cartels along the border, it kind of seems as well, and then a kind of a reversal and pullback uh, from Governor Gravatt's initiative uh, that, you know, continues into this day, and we will expect to see kind of culminate uh, with the kind of the final pullback later today. Ariel, you have been covering this. James, you have been covering this too. We've had a lot of people covering the, the um the, the initiative of this, but maybe Ariel, can we just start with you? Tell us a little bit about what the impact of this initiative by Greg Abbott has been this past week. Yeah, I mean, the impact has been economically, of course, um, both on the uh, Mexican side as well as the US side. Um, a lot of uh, cargo that uh, usually comes from Mexico has been delayed uh, um, by days sometimes, I'm sorry, by hours and sometimes days. And we're talking about auto parts, medical equipment and produce and just uh, other stuff that American companies purchase regularly. Um, this also has affected, you know, the economy on the Mexican side in the sense that truckers, you know, get sometimes get paid by the load and they take anywhere from three to four trips. Um, and because of these inspections, it's delayed a lot of um, shipment. And so a lot of truckers told me that instead of doing their usual three to four trips have just 
done one trip a day. So yeah, basically, you know, grinding kind of cross-border traffic among these 18 wheelers to a halt. Cross-border traffic that, you know, doesn't just affect, uh, you know, people along the border, but really can have an impact across the country. As, as you mentioned, Nuriel, you know, car parts, groceries, vegetables. I, you know, I think we talked to someone who, uh, in, in one of our stories, who had a, uh, you know, truckloads of broccoli that needed to get, you know, to warehouses that would eventually be distributed to grocery stores, you know, presumably across the state and, and beyond. And, you know, really, I think, James, this, this seemed to kind of spark concerns from a lot of different like business leaders, you know, our, our agriculture commissioner, Sid Miller, a, a Republican state official was, was particularly alarmed by this calling on Abbott to stop it. I mean, this, this was a, you know, this was being felt, this concern was being felt from, you know, not just the usual kind of Abbott critics. Right. I think it's, uh, I think for the business community, it's been rough and obviously agriculture commissioner, Sid Miller, um, this is impacting directly his industry. Um, they are one of the most affected by it because uh, the far Reynosa crossings there, that's the main way that produce gets into, um, into the state of Texas. And that was not moving uh, either way for two days at the beginning of this week. So I think he had a good reason for coming out and talking to the governor and saying to rescind this. Um, I think business overall is not happy with it. I mean, we've got to understand if we want to put numbers to it. The U.S. and Mexico do about $660 billion in trade. $442 billion of that trade goes through Texas ports. Um, and that is a lot of money to be putting on the line for what can only really be described as a political tantrum. Uh, because if the solution that the governor was looking for, what was these memoranda of agreement of understanding that he's pulling out now with the uh, four governors from the bordering states on the Mexican side, why not just have picked up the phone and done it before we started this? Why grind uh, interstate commerce, international commerce uh, to a halt? That doesn't make any sense. We are looking at rough math here, and we're looking at businesses losing hundreds of millions of dollars. You talk about Easter being this weekend, um, and uh, the some of the industry representatives for the produce associations are saying there's going to be empty shelves at HEB uh, this weekend because we weren't able to get that produce across. So there's very real impact from this. And while the governor is taking his victory lap, I think we have to ask the question of at what cost and could this have been done differently? Um, and I think the costs are yet to be seen. And I think the answer to could this have been done differently is a, a resounding yes. Yes. Yeah, so, Uriel, you, you're based in El Paso where, you know, there um, are, of course, border bridges and, and you were able to kind of get a little bit of an eye on, on, on what was happening, you know, in these actual checks. Can you describe kind of what DPS was doing uh, with these trucks? Um, you know, after, uh, after a trucker, as an example, would cross um, the, the immigration port of entry, they were directed to a state facility. Um, and it was hard to tell from, from where I was standing, but uh, 
at the very least, what I could see is that they were inspecting one or two trucks at a time. Mm. And one of the truckers who had already done a, a previous uh, state inspection told me that um, he was only asked for his I identification uh, and any sort of insurance and did, did what, they, what the usual inspection was of the truck itself. What was different was they were trying to identify the, the driver. And what he told me is that they were doing only two to three trucks an hour. Um, so that, and that's, that's as much as they could do because of the way that the facility uh, is shaped. So, and the lack of personnel. Um, so that was part, part of uh, what was causing the backlog. Uh, I think one thing to keep in mind and, and to put in perspective is that um, these truckers say that they wait anywhere from um, 20 minutes on a good day to get through all the checkpoints uh, up to an hour on a bad day. And because of these uh, added inspections, they said that they were waiting up to five, between five to seven hours. Wow. So, uh, uh, so yeah, it, it caused a big backlog and, and, you know, it, it, and as far as we know, another thing to add though, is DPS hasn't reported finding any drugs, any illegal drugs or immigrants in any of this, uh, uh, commercial cargo as well. Well, yeah, and that's a really important point to make, you know, because the way that this was kind of presented to the people of Texas, right. Was that this was in response to a lack of what, you know, what, what Abbott, described as a lack of kind of border security, a lack of the federal government under the Biden administration doing its job to prevent, you know, people and illegal goods from, you know, being brought across the border. And we haven't really seen any evidence that it did anything to catch any of that. You know, the um, when, when they've been asked about this, you know, the, the only thing they've really pointed to was, you know, finding some things in trucks that didn't pass safety inspections, which, you know, I mean, I guess that's a positive thing. If there's dangerous trucks on the road, you want to, to stop that. But that was not at all the stated goal of these inspections, right, James? Yeah, and I think one thing that, um, you know, has to be harped on is that, you know, the drug cartels um, are multinational, multi-million dollar organizations. There's a reason why they are so successful. And is, that is that they are not dumb. Um, so if you announce a week and a half ago that, hey, we're going to be checking every commercial vehicle um, for for drugs or whatever. And that is not what they're saying. <laughs> that is, to, to be clear, that's not what they're saying, but that is clearly the intended purpose. But if you announce a week and a half ago and, and you're a cartel that, let's just say for the sake of it, has fentanyl or something crossing over, what are you going to do while they're sitting there for 15 hours a day? You're going to send your people, you're going to get the fentanyl out of there, and it's not going to get caught. And you're not going to be sending any more fentanyl through those ports. It's just a bit of a cockamamie plan that doesn't work because we do not live in a vacuum. If you publicize very openly and vocally that they're checking every commercial vehicle, these cartels and these drugs organizations are not dumb. They're not going to send their they're not going to send their drugs to be confiscated at your at your uh, port of entry. Um, just didn't make a whole lot of sense, and uh, I think. You know, when they were asked, they, they they said that there had not been any drug seized. I think I think Steve McCross said that to the Dallas Morning News. Oh, OK, OK. And that, you know, 
that is a a interesting part of this right the the idea of 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 no drug seized uh, no um you know as far as we've heard no reports of you know people being you know snuck across the border that were were, were caught either correct me if i'm wrong on that uh james Ariel. Um, i don't think we've heard any of that audio right no we haven't and um what's interesting as as this is all going on um customs and border Prote uh, protection have been sending out press releases about the drugs illegal mm -hmm. drugs and people uh that they've seized so mm -hmm. while texas has uh while avid has been saying i'm doing this to catch any illegal drugs or catch any migrants trying to come in to the country legally cbp has been seizing drugs and undocumented immigrants trying to cross the border yes. so um yeah i mean cbp is doing what they've been doing and in fact cbp has said that these added inspections are unnecessary yeah can i i, I just want to say one point about that too which is that throughout this whole thing we've been talking about how do drugs enter um the united states right and we have talked about like operation lone star the national guards and, and troopers on the border that doesn't make any sense because the drugs do come through the ports of entry right but like i said if you tell <laughs> if you if you publicize that to the drug cartels then they are not going to put their drugs there they are they are very smart they're very intelligent they're very savvy um and so they're not going to put their drugs there. The other thing is that, as Uriel was saying, CBP is already doing this. CBP is already doing inspections, and they have very sophisticated technologies at the ports of entry to do this. So the, uh, the repeat, the duplicative inspections that DPS is doing for mechanical reasons, like your tire pressure isn't right, or your wheel flaps aren't right, or your license is old or hasn't been renewed that does nothing for the actual seizure of drugs right and if the state wanted to do something in terms of helping cbp actually seize drugs there could have been a conversation of okay how does dps and cbp work together in conjunction to catch these drugs and maybe do more inspections at the border rather than doing something that's duplicative and contradictory to what CBP is doing. That's not what happened. And again, it goes to the question, what is this really about? Is this really about seizing drugs or is this really about, um, you know, twisting uh, the arms of the Biden administration in Washington, of uh, the Mexican governor so that Governor Abbott can sort of claim victory? Um, it's it's just been very difficult to understand the the thinking on this as we try to report on the very real damages that have happened to Texas businesses. Well, well, James, if I mean, if if what I'm hearing from you though is that they, you know, this could have or might have prompted the cartels to not send drugs in trucks across the border while this is going on. I mean, should that not be viewed as a success of this plan? I want to I want to add to that. Uh, I'm going to kind of answer your question here Matt, is that as a uh, border security expert told me is that, I mean, yes, drug cartels could wait it out. Um, and, and I think that's the point is that they'll just wait out whatever measures Texas may be doing. But apart from that, is that even as they're waiting it out, um, it's important to understand that drug cartels have great relationships with 
with uh, with corrupt officials in Mexico. And we're talking about police officers, uh, Mexican government officials. And in some cases, we've seen reports of um, border patrol agents helping drug cartel members. Mm. So um, again, uh, to emphasize that point is that, yeah, maybe it is, as this border security expert told me, is that it's it's a win in the short term. But the drug cartels are have always adapted to whatever security measures the U.S. or the Mexican government has been doing, and the way they do that is because they have people on 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 in the Mexican government to tell them, "Hey, this is what we know. This is how you could get around it." Um, and and ultimately, you know, um, they'll find a, drug cartel uh, cartels will find a way to get their drugs in, into the U.S. And another thing to add to that too is that. The, the, the same uh, Mexican governments that, you know, a year ago, a couple of years ago, for many years, we've been saying we won't work with them because they're corrupt and because they allow drugs to come through are now the same governments that we are signing memorandums of understanding with. So what sense does this all make? That's one point. The second point is that Texas, while we have 1,200 miles of border with Mexico and we have the biggest border with Mexico, you have to understand they're not the only border with Mexico. There's three other Western states that have borders with Mexico that don't have uh, these DPS vehicle inspections. So uh, just like uh, the governor and the Texas military department and DPS have said on our reporting on Operation Lone Star that because they're at the border, which I'm not sure is true, but that because they're at the border, um, they're not coming through Texas and instead are going through Arizona and the Yuma sector. Do you think that these drug uh, organizations don't have the same ideas? Now, there's drug territories that it make it, would make it more difficult for them. But to the east of us, we also have a big old gulf where they can also get their drugs across. So mm-hmm. this, this sort of short-sighted view that if we close the border, um, the drugs won't come through, is just not, it doesn't fit the reality um, of what happens on the ground. These drug cartels are very sophisticated, very organized. They're going to find a way to get their drugs across. They're probably going to charge more for the drugs that they get across. Um, and it shows the limitations that state governments have in trying to tackle these things because we are not equipped to do all the things that the governor wants to do. But I'm not sure that he's interested in actually doing those things. I think he's more interested in what Uriel is talking about in terms of having these short-term wins where he can sort of tout these quote-unquote victories and saying, hey, I stopped the drug cartels and look how much better I am than the Biden administration. I, I want to make a couple of points here on, on that and also talk about sort of um, what are these uh, uh, agreements with, uh, with the Mexican governors. Uh, uh, on the point that... Um, James was just making, uh, you know, the DPS director said earlier this year, and, and this is a quote for him from him, if you believe the government of Mexico is helping, then you're sadly mistaken. The Mexican cartels not only have operational control of the border, they really have operational control of Mexico. So if we have the DPS director not trusting Mexican officials to help Texas with border security, that's a question that the governor needs to answer. What's different now? 
And that segues into to the second point that I want to bring up. What, what, are, what are the security measures that these four Mexican governors uh, say that they're doing? As far as we know that um, the, the Nuevo Leon, as of now, the Nuevo Leon uh, governor has been the only one ha who has brought up any new initiatives. He said that he's going to set up checkpoints uh, uh, of commercial trucks before they arrive at the port of entry between uh, Nuevo Leon and, and Texas. But it's important to know two things on those checkpoints is that Nuevo Leon only shares eight miles of border with Texas. Um, and on, on that, on, there's no real border town between Nuevo Leon, Nuevo Leon and Texas, unlike some of these other states when we're talking about Juarez, Juarez and El Paso, right? There, it's, a, it's one community, or Reynosa and McAllen. You know, those are big, big uh, uh, um, binational cities, and Nuevo León just doesn't have that. And so, even if he does set up checkpoints, people, migrants don't usually cross through there. There's no resources for them to stay on the Mexican side. Mm -hmm. um, the other, uh, as far as uh, uh, Chihuahua goes, the governor, uh, Governor Abbott, announced uh, had called. Uh, Chihuahua's governor's security measures, one of the best he's ever seen. And the way he portrayed it as if this was a new thing that they were doing. In reality, Chihuahua has been um, putting these the security measures since the governor came into office in 2021. So the way that they played it up, this is new, this is the way the governor should, should, uh, should be working together, but um, as James pointed out earlier, if Abbott would have just called the governor of Chihuahua, he would have known that they've already had security measures. And those security measures include facial recognition cameras and uh, driver or license plate reading technology as you drive uh, into Juarez. Um, and it does seem, it does ahead. seem, Muriel, that it does seem, and I, all the things that you pointed out just bring up the point that it does seem that like, the governor recognized that there was a tremendous impact being done on the business community. And the business community is Abbott constituents. Mm -hmm. um, and so he, I, and matter of fact, I, I know that he was getting tremendous impact because we've spoken to some of those associations. So it does seem that the governor is sort of trying to find anything to say, well, I achieved my thing, now we don't have to do this anymore. Um, and sort of claim a victory where it's, not very clear that there is actually a victory there or anything substantially new that's happening, uh, save this thing with uh, Governor Garcia of Nuevo Leon. The other thing to point out, you, you mentioned the corruption thing that uh, Colonel McCraw had said. Um, and I mean, uh, the governor of Tamaulipas, he's uh, he's been charged with uh, with uh, with things related to organized crime and there's ties there. And so how can we, you know, how can we say, hey, they're corrupt, we don't want to work with them, you know, one day, and the next day say, well, now we have a memorandum of understanding, and we totally trust these guys. Yeah. It just and doesn't it, seem to make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, and, and just to be clear, these mem memorandums of understanding that are being signed are essentially Abbott's exit strategy from this. I mean, basically what he is doing, this started on Wednesday, right, where he, he met with um, the first border governor, um, in which he kind of laid out, you know, we're going to open up this one bridge because 
they have agreed to step up these security checks. He's now done it with two more. And Ariel, we're expecting, right, that he has a press conference at three o'clock today. We're talking a little bit after noon right now where he'll do kind of the last, last kind of agreement with the governor that will kind of undo the measures that that have basically been going on for about a week now along the Texas border. Right. I mean, it's the it's the fourth governor um, um, from Tamaulipas, Francisco Cabeza de Vaca, who, um, you know, if if these if this agreement is any like the others, you know, this would essentially end all the uh, added inspections that Texas has been doing. So essentially we resume trade at the usual flow that we were having, um, you know, last week before this was announced. Cool. All right, let's, I, I want to talk a little bit about the politics of this, but first let's pause and hear from our sponsors. Join Texas Appleseed for I Heart Justice, a free art exhibition on May 11th. RSVP at iheartjustice.org. And Raise Your Hand Texas believes the future of Texas, our communities, economy, and citizenry depends on how well we prepare all students. Meet your regional advocacy director, sign up for our newsletter, and get involved at raiseyourhandtexas.org backslash advocacy. Okay, James, so is it safe, is it fair for me to say that this has been a pretty politically uncomfortable week for Governor Greg Abbott? I mean, so much of his pitch to the people of Texas lately has been, you know, I'm coming down to Texas to you know, do what Biden isn't doing on the border, what he says he isn't doing in the border. And then they've also been hitting, you know, Beto O'Rourke and, you know, through as a sort of supporter of Biden over things like high gas prices, inflation and things like that, which is something that, you know, they've really been able to pin on the Democrats for now. But this week, I mean, we've basically seen, you know, chaos on the border that people have been pointing the finger, people in his own party have been pointing the finger to Governor Greg Abbott for. And we've been seeing, you know, people blaming Abbott for, you know, the potential for higher prices. The, you know, the the headline on the Wall Street Journal editorial page, the Wall Street Journal, a a very conservative, you know, uh, their editorial page, a very conservative group was talking about $5 avocados and, and and blaming Greg Abbott for that. Uh, I mean, and they said Greg Abbott's five dollar avocados. Great, yeah, exactly. Greg Abbott's five dollar avocados. You know, which was echoing, you know, quotes by Sid Miller, another kind of, you know, maybe not Greg Abbott's best friend politically, but so on the same in the same party, a member of the same party. Uh, what is what is the impact for this Greg for politically? Do you think? I think common sense would say that it is a politically uncomfortable week, but mm-hmm. we don't. I don't think that we live in that reality anymore, actually. I think that the governor here has taken a very calculated risk. Um, This is a governor that we've covered for eight years now, and we know that he doesn't make a whole lot of mistakes. And so he, I would not be surprised if the governor made the calculated risk here and thought that this would be the resolution that he would come to. Mm. Now, when it comes to the criticism, it's been very loud by Democrats, the Biden administration, Beto O'Rourke, South Texas border Democrats have been very critical of it. Some business associations have been very public about it, um, but not the big ones. There's been nothing from the Texas Association of Business 
HEB has been notably quiet on this, even though we know it directly impacts their business. Toyota, the big car manufacturer here in Texas, and in some of these like Mexican states um, that, that we're talking about, has also said nothing. I have to assume that there's been conversations behind closed doors talking about this, but publicly that has not come to bear on the governor. And when you look at the Sid Miller criticism, sure, but that again impacts the directly the industry that he's uh, he oversees, and also he's no friend of the governor, as you said. He considered uh, running against him and has been very critical of his COVID nineteen uh, responses. But on the other hand, any other Republican criticism has been muted. You haven't seen any state representatives. You haven't seen any state senators. You haven't seen uh, the Speaker of the House. Uh, who, who, who claims to be very business friendly, or Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who, who I don't think would be accused of being business friendly, but also worries about the Texas economy. No criticism from them. And I think that shows that, you know, even if you are concerned about the criticism, you're not going to go out of your way to say something bad about Governor Greg Abbott, because he's shown that he is willing to rule the Texas Republican Party with an iron fist. And if you're speaking out of line, it's not going to go well for you. Um, and furthermore, there's been actual Republican support for this approach. If you look at tweets and comments from Congressman Chip Roy, he's saying, well, yeah, this hurts uh, the business economy a little bit, but hey, I think this is the right approach because this is all Joe Biden's fault because he's not doing anything there. Um, so I think it's really been a calculated risk by the governor to say, and it's very, it's very cold to put it in these terms, but to say, I'm willing to take on this amount of economic damage for a week and a half if we can beat up the Biden administration a little bit, if we can make things a little bit better for South Texas Republicans challenging for House seats and congressional seats down there. And if I come out with a victory that makes it look like I am doing much more than Joe Biden is. So I think that's the actual political landscape that we're playing in. And it's not I mean, it's. It's not, how, how can I say this? I think that he can actually pull this off <laughs> with his base. Do you really think this helps in South Texas though? I mean, if there's any area in the state, you know, in addition to El Paso, of course, although that's a more democratic area. Well, his, his approach, yeah, his approach when we've, when we've asked, when reporters have asked him, like, why do this? He, he has said, you have to call the Biden administration. The problem was with the Biden administration. If the Biden administration was doing his job on the border, we wouldn't have to do any of this, right? And as a matter of fact, yesterday when he was having the press conference with the governor from, from Chihuahua, we said, well, if we could have just done this all along, why not do this a week and a half ago before we implemented any of this economic damage? And he sort of very uh, tersely just said, well, in the, in, the, in the few couple of days since this has been in effect, the governors of every border state have called me. So, and didn't mention any of the economic impact on these businesses, on these associations, on these industries. He just saw that other people were reacting to the policies that he had implemented in the way that he wanted them to react. Mm -hmm. So I think that the governor is actually pretty comfortable where he is, and he's been the most popular politician in the state for the last eight years, has never really used his political capital for anything even slightly controversial, 
And I think he's made the calculated risk that he can lose a couple of points on this and still be okay in November. Yeah, I think there's, there's one thing I want to say about the, the business aspect of this. And, and, and y'all have heard me say this privately, but I, I'll say it for the sake of the podcast here is that I look at the silence of places like HEB, of individual businesses, of some of the major groups that you mentioned, and I kind of look at what else has gone on with the business community and the Republican Party in recent months and years. I mean, you know, we had at the beginning of the legislative session last year as, as, as Texas was taking up voting bills right after Georgia had passed a bill and there had been a lot of heat on, on companies in Georgia for not speaking out. You saw some companies, including American Airlines, speak out against the voting measures. And you saw Dan Patrick come at them full with full force, you know, attacking Mr. American Airlines and all these businesses for meddling in Texas politics. Then you see the bill in Florida, what is what Democrats decry as the don't say gay bill. And Disney, you know, one of the major kind of employers in that state taking heat for not saying anything. They finally come out and say it. And the full force of the Republican Party coming after them, you know, people calling them, uh, groomers, people, you know, saying get, stay out of the business of the Florida legislature, people calling for boycotts, all kinds of things, something that I'm sure Disney does not want to kind of face. And, you know, I'd have to wonder what the impact of kind of the blowback that these companies have faced from Republican officials and from Republican voters. And is it worth it to them for their bottom line to, to come out and do this? And do they want to really be in these public fights with Republican officials? I mean, we can all guess about whether there were phone calls behind the scenes saying, hey, this has to stop. But are they are they making the calculation here that, you know, we can't afford to to be to be to be seen as fighting with kind of half of the country on on issues like this? I have to feel like that that was in their heads as they were thinking about whether or not to speak out about this. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's right. And I think that's always been businesses approach, right? Um, businesses don't ever really do anything uh, uh, politically um, unless it benefits them. And they certainly don't want to do anything that will negatively affect them. So when you look at the political landscape of Texas, in which the, the Republicans have controlled uh, the state government for 20 something years, um, it's not in any business's interest to come out and speak against uh, Republicans and particularly against the sitting governor, who, again, is the most popular politician in the state, um, has shown that he will retaliate against critics. And so I think that very much uh, bears on companies like HEB, um, like uh, Toyota, um, you know, organizations like the Texas Trucking Association, which did have some comments uh, late, I think Wednesday, yeah, I think Wednesday, which was already a week into the thing, but they finally came out with public statements sort of asking the governor to, to reconsider, um, but a very soft approach. And I think it's, it's, undoubted, it's undoubtedly on their mind, like what could happen to them if they really come out and speak critically of the governor's uh, moves. Indeed. All right. Well, that's all the time we have, James. You have an interview you need to get ready for. Ariel, you have a press conference to prepare for. And more importantly, I think you need to get yourself in that mental space for the start of the Phoenix Suns playoff run <laughs> this weekend. This is our year. Uh, I was really, uh, 
lost. Yeah, I almost, I almost didn't move back to, I, I almost didn't move to Texas because of it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, are you wearing a Suns shirt right now? I think you just lifted well, up. I, I'm wearing a Suns hoodie, yes. <laughs> All right, good. Well, I'm rooting for you. I know, I know it's, uh, I know what it's like to root for a team that's, that's never won a championship. So I hope you, uh, I hope oh, you guys can pull it off. Uh, all right. Well, thanks to both of y'all. Thank you to EarthX, Methodist Healthcare Ministries of South Texas, Texas Appleseed, and Raise Your Hand, Texas. We'll talk to y'all next week. You would never use. Do I have to talk you